The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week joining us on Twitch. You're joining us on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, podcast platforms, and Sirius XM Channel 145. Wherever you're joining us, we're happy to have you here. And I'm happy to be joined by Lauren this week. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Ryan. I am... Uh, let me let me tell you a little bit about my pre-show prep this week, Lauren. Okay. So we have a great interview coming up. Just in a few minutes, we're going to uh, bring in our guest this week, Justin Warfield. He's a terrific, chart-topping recording artist and also the VP of Artist Services for a company called Downright. Really cool platform that connects fans with artists to have those artists commission songs for them. So imagine oh. being able to go to your favorite artist, having them write a song just for you. Yes. That sounds like the best birthday present for my right. anniversary. I'm going to get my wife a song by her favorite artist written just for her. That's, That's a great platform. It's great for fans, and it's becoming an increasingly valuable revenue stream for indie creators. So we're going to talk all about that with our guest. Uh, he's going to go deep into the platform, talk about how song commissions is becoming a more prevalent part of more indie creators' revenue streams. And most importantly, he's going to talk about how you indie creators can get in on this commissions game because as Spotify is paying artists less and less, as venues are closing and it's harder to find live performance opportunities, song commissions could be a great way for a lot of creators to fill the gap. And talk about being able to create a great relationship with your fans by making work just for them. And it's sort of interesting, Lauren, how it's kind of like a... I talked to Justin about this. It's sort of like how everything is old is new again. Like song commissions and people, you know, commissioning artists to make works for them. That's like straight out of the 17th century. I was thinking, you know, that's that's the original patron. It's patrons, like, yeah. Like, you know, pa patrons of the arts would say, I want to hear more things created. Therefore, I will pay you to create things. And I like that it's going back to that because people should believe in the arts and support it. If they like it, they'll pay for it. And that's a great way to do it for sure. And it's going to be a great interview. Don't go anywhere. Before we bring that out, Lauren, I want to tell you about Another thing I was going to do with my show prep here, I was all set to talk a little bit about this uh, Facebook whistleblower because I'm mm. infinitely fascinated by social media and the whistleblower came before Congress. And so I watched I was all set to watch this 60 minute segment about the Facebook whistleblower and her being interviewed on 60 minutes. And then I fell in love with a far cooler 60 minute segment in that exact same broadcast. And I want to talk about that one. Tell me you've seen clips. This? <laughs> Tell me you've seen clips, Lauren, of this Tony Bennett segment on 60 Minutes. I'm oblivious to the outside world. Do tell. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So you know Tony Bennett, right? Like, yes. Lounge Singer's been at this for decades. <gasps> I do know what you're talking you about. You do? Okay, so I wasn't watching, but my father came and got me out of the other room and said, you have to come watch this segment. It's the Lady Gaga one? Yes! He was like, okay, don't tell him I said this, but he was like crying on the couch on the second viewing when he made me come across the house to watch it. I didn't realize that was 60 minutes, but like that was so moving. I feel like America's dads throughout America called in their kids into the room <laughs> to watch this. This is incredible. For those of you who didn't see it, so Tony Bennett, amazing singer. He's been singing the Great American Songbook for, through the decades since, what, the 1950s, 1960s? Mm -hmm. He's 96 old, years old, and a few months ago it was announced that he has Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And he's been trying to plan his final performance, and COVID has sort of delayed that final performance from happening. And the longer it's been... We, we, they've been waiting the less chance that this performance was going to happen because the Alzheimer's was getting worse and worse. And they were interviewing Tony Bennett. Uh, 60 Minutes profiled him like on the days before this big performance at Radio City Music Hall, which was going to be his final show. And it did not look like a man who was ready to perform anything. You know, he, he, he could barely speak. He wasn't answering questions. He, he, there were days, there were interviews where he didn't know what day it was, where his apartment was. He didn't know the woman that he was rehearsing with, and that woman was Lady Gaga, famous pop star who he's been performing with for 10 years. 
Okay. But as a consummate pro, he didn't let her know that. He just called her, you know, hey, honey, or babe, or whatever. Yeah. Which, by the way, <laughs> speaking of our dad, is totally a move that our dad does, and, and his mind is perfectly lucid, but everybody's either a, a buddy or darling for that same Side reason. Side note, he did say that this was Grandpa George, our grandfather's favorite artist. Oh, gosh. Well, he would have so. loved this. So, so anyway, you're watching this whole segment, and you're saying to yourself, this guy's not going to be able to play Radio City Music Hall. He can barely function. And then he gets up on stage, and the curtains open, and the lights go on, and something clicks. Something goes on, and he just, his eyes light up, he starts performing, he's got charisma, he nails 12 songs in a row, no, knows every word, and then... And charismatic the whole time. Oh, like, yeah. Like, being able to do the songs is one thing. He was a total showman. He was like, hello, audience, I'm here for you. And, and perhaps the cherry on top. So during the interviews, he doesn't know who Lady Gaga is when he's performing next to her in rehearsals. She comes out on stage, and what does he do? Open his arms up. Lady, Lady Gaga's Gaga. here! And, yeah. And, honest to God, Lauren, I wish I knew enough about neurology <laughs> to understand how something like that is possible. Like, you know, we've had loved ones go through dementia. We understand, like, what it does to your brain and what it does to your memories. The idea that he could go from that to something about the power of music and the thing yeah. that he's passionate about, just turn back the clock and make Alzheimer's go away, even for a brief two-hour show. And it was very brief because they interviewed him the next day. He didn't remember playing Radio City Music Hall. No, no memory. But the remember mind is incredible. Also, before that, when they were rehearsing before Radio City Music Hall, he may not have known the people in the room, but he knew every word to one of his songs. He yeah. knew the melody at all. The, they said he played for over an hour straight. He went through 100 songs or something, and he knew them all. And it's, it's ingrained into his persona as much as walking is. You know, you might not be consciously aware, but he's still walking across the house. He's, his bodily functions are on autopilot, and that's the power of music to him. I had a friend, I've known a couple of friends that were in accidents and couldn't walk or talk and like talked about crawling over to the piano and, and playing it. People who've lost their sight and are still able to play it. People who've been stuck in, oh God, I wish I remember his name. He was stuck in jail for a year and didn't have access to a piano at all. And when he came out, he played a concert and they were like, you know, how did you do that without practicing? He said, I practiced every day. <laughs> I just didn't have a piano. Like the mind needs that music or at least in people who are wired to be creators like it's it's part of your dna well but it's it's so ingrained in you that it it seems to have this restorative effect on other parts of your memory too because remember he didn't know lady gaga's name right he sings 12 songs he suddenly remembers lady gaga's name in a you know in front of several thousand people at radio city music hall like there's something about doing what you love, doing what you're passionate about that's so ingrained in your DNA that it, it makes Alzheimer's go away. So on that, I've, I've always uh, referred to performers in some ways as being like an energy leech. Like I, I need to feed off the energy of others to be able to function. And uh, when he's standing on that stage, he wasn't alone on that stage. He wasn't in a room isolated by COVID for a year. He was in a room where thousands of people were sending him their energy. Yeah. So it's more than just his persona. It was a room of people encouraging him. And that makes him remember things. It's not him alone. He had his audience. But our artists need their fans and i can't think of a better segue than having uh justin warfield continue that conversation for us because if anybody understands the value of that artist fan relationship it's justin warfield's sentiment that you're going to get in this interview right now here we go Our guest this week has been a chart-topping recording artist, composer, and producer for over 30 years. He is currently the VP of Artist Services at Downright, a platform that lets everyday fans commission artists to create brand new music for them. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.downright.com and www.justinwarfield.com. We are happy to welcome Justin Warfield on the Break the Business. Hello, Justin. Hey, how's it going, Ryan? Thanks for having me great to have you here 
I'm excited to talk to you about your area of expertise because it's something that I'm very passionate about in my legal practice, and that is how do we get artists paid? And I've heard you say in the past, Justin, that one of the reasons why you got involved with Downright specifically is that you felt that the ways that artists were being compensated for their work in the streaming world of fractions of a pennies is not sustainable. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is something I'm passionate about, not only as a, as a lifelong artist of 30 years, but as an executive. And for me, um, the old model of sort of record industry V1, which I was actually raised in, my father is in the industry for over 25, 30 years. And so I've been signed to three major labels in one indie across 30 years. So in that experience, I, I, I was one of the fortunate ones who was able to make money from, from licensing, from film and television, from doing composition and score, um, from extensive live touring all over the world, as well as having radio, uh, terrestrial and satellite radio hits. So across the gamut, I was able through all the different sort of revenue streams able to participate. I'm one of the fortunate ones. There's many who are above me, but there's far few, uh, there's far greater amounts who are just the sort of like working class to middle class artists. And whether it was the old record industry model where it was like, you get an advance, you're getting basically a loan from a bank, good luck. We're going to try and develop you at this label. And if it doesn't work, sorry, kid, you're on your way a year and a half, two years into a record cycle. Hopefully we broke your band or your project so that you can be a self-sustaining artist. But you're going to be in debt to us to the tune of 150 to a half a million dollars, if, if that's at the low end. Right. And then you're never going to get a royalty. So whether it was the old industry model where royalties were unattainable or whether it was what started to happen through Napster and streaming and um, downloads, you know, when the download thing happened, like I had a band break at, right at the advent of that. And I was like one of the last, would I say, artists that was like on the side of Tower Records and still selling physical units at mom and pop stores as well as big box chains. But then if you look forward to what happened when the record companies couldn't make their money from selling physical CDs anymore, and then it became, well, we're going to just like really make it like so that we can keep most of our money on the downloads. Once it became streaming and they made the sweetheart deals with the streamers because they own the masters, then it really became the fractions of pennies and then it became unattainable. So the idea that an artist can only make money by playing live in front of their fans um, is just, it's, it's not sustainable, especially when we look at like conditions on the ground changing due to like health and safety protocols post-COVID, right? Or in the middle of like whatever we might be coming out, this the third wave of this. Right. So it is to it's just it's not it's not it's not it can't work for an artist. How can I just get a royalty check for $23.99 and hope that that's somehow gonna support my lifestyle? I think I read somewhere recently that 499 out of every Spotify accounts are making less than a living wage on the platform, like making less than what a normal average household income is that's definitely not sustainable and i think when you combine it with what you were talking about with record labels sometimes you know a lot of times these label artists that are trying to make money off of streaming get the toughest deal because they're they're getting that sixth sense of a stream through a spotify but then that sixth sense of a stream goes through the label's royalty and oftentimes yeah. that can either be a 50-50 split or i've seen it where they take like 50 you know where they only give the artist like 15 percent, like you would on a traditional royalty deal on a CD. So the artist is getting 15% of six tenths of a cent per stream. And you're supposed to feed yourself on that. That's not sustainable. And look, I've had modest hits, but I know people that had like, you know, Hey, we played on Ellen hits. And like, when I found out what their Spotify checks were, it was ghastly. Oh, so, gosh. you know, when they could go and then play a private party for a group of fans and make, you know, like, really enough to live on for quite a while versus hey we have a song that actually impacted the culture like impacted the culture not just a hit like something that everyone knows and they're not making meaningful money that's just really that's upsetting to me especially because i come from the era where radio was king and for better or for worse it had the ability to take an unknown artist and make them a household name and my dad was a radio promo man and so i know the impact of radio from the time i was born and my former band, She Wants Revenge, actually was the first band to ever get broken on Sirius Satellite Radio. So I have this experience of knowing that whether it's college radio, whether it's different entry points, there was all these ways for an artist to be discovered. And so all that to say, it's not sustainable. We can't live on royalties. We can't live on Spotify or Apple or Tidal or whatever that thing may be, Pandora, Amazon. 
like good let that come in but until we have equity until we have partnership or ownership in the master you know as a lawyer you know that's everything and and for most artists at best if they have the leverage they could have something where maybe they get reversion or maybe they uh it's like a, a JV, but that's not going to happen for a, for a baby band that like gets noticed and then all of a sudden signs a label deal, right? Certainly not in the current state of the music industry. Speaking of revenue streams, what do yeah. you think of this emergent phenomenon now of electronic tipping as a revenue stream? Like we've been always, you could always throw a, a money in a yeah. tip jar at, when an artist is playing a live venue, but we're seeing it now online where it's you know bits on a platform like Twitch or even. Uh, a lot of the DSPs are starting to have tipping features within their platforms, right? Um, or just you know on TikTok or any of these kind of platforms. Do you see that as something that's viable and sustainable, where we just sort of cut out all the middle people and just have fans tip their favorite yeah. artists directly online? What's well, a really good question, and to your point of viable or sustainable, here's the truth: um, it's nice to have multiple streams. It's like you know what we call mailbox money. It's like oh, you're getting a little from Sound Exchange, you're getting some from your BMI. CSAC, your ASCAP, you're getting these different streams in and it's great, right? But is it sustainable? I mean, yes, as an ancillary thing that's gonna be coming in is like, does a, does, you know, think about like people who work in the service industry who only work on tips or who have pooled tips but only make an hourly salary. Those tips at the end of the night when they break open the jar and they split it up, you know, some of those people, that's how they're gonna eat like an after shift meal, right? So if you're a DJ and you're streaming on Twitch or, or some other platform, and somebody has the ability for your radio show, for your stream, that they can be tipping you. That's incredibly sustainable and, and substantial. And that might be that your, your main primary income. And I actually have friends who have channels on different platforms where tipping has, I mean, they could have quite honestly bought a house from that. Wow. But at the same time, if you're, no, I'm just being honest. Like I have a friend who has a very popular show and during COVID, he made six figures in tipping. And that's because he provides something of value that people needed during COVID, that people needed when they couldn't see live music. So is that the average or the norm? No, it's not. But my thing is, if an artist is getting 100% of it minus whatever, you know, service fees or, or platform fees, that's one thing. But if a big, you know, if a big DSP says, hey, we're going to do a tip thing and we're going to slide this much to the artist, and then to me, it's just sort of like, the, the the DSP has their hand in your pocket, taking your wallet, but they're like putting pennies in your front pocket so you feel good about it. And it's the distraction while you get like, you know, faggoned while you're walking down the street. Gosh, uh, you're, you're speaking to the experience of a lot of the folks who uh, watch and listen to this program and certainly the experience of what I've seen a lot of my clients go through in the entertainment business. And so one of the reasons why I'm intrigued in talking with you specifically is I think you're working with a company that's on the forefront of what I think might be a potentially exciting revenue stream. And you know, of course, everything in the entertainment business is cyclical, right? Because I feel like we're sort of taking this thing that I'm about to talk about all the way back from like the 1500s. And I'm talking about uh, song commissions or commissioning yeah. an artist to write an original song, which is like going all the way back to like patronage days. But yeah, now it's patron back of the arts, technology. right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and I think there's some potential here as a revenue stream for creators. And you work with a company called Downright, which helps facilitate these kind of commission arrangements between fans and artists. Can you tell a bit about how Downright works? Yeah, um, you know, I think it's incredibly sustainable. I think that as you, you know, very, very acutely, you know, wisely said, very astute is um, it's the oldest form of supporting an artist one can do, you know? And, and so to me, the idea, the most unbreakable bond, it's like, you know, the relationship between um, the relationship between an artist and, uh, and a representative or an artist and, uh, and, and somebody who gets their music out there or, or who facilitates things is, is not always forever, but the relationship between the songwriter and the person who is moved by that song is forever. And I'm sure you have songs that you, if I said, what is the song that, that, that changed your life when you were 13, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh gosh, 13, I would have- Just first off the top, what's the first thing? Uh, 3 a.m., Matchbox 20. 
Okay. Oh my God, I'm so old. Okay, but sorry, yes. <laughs> that's why I was <laughs> no, afraid to answer. No, I knew no, I was no, gonna. No. I knew that was no, gonna make like okay. the industry it, veteran it, it, so I, sad. I, I no, no, it's not me. It's not sad at all. It's important. Okay, so last night I was driving in the car, and as happens sometimes when your your phone's plugged in, it was looping one song in particular, and it was Paisley Park by Prince. I remember exactly where I was when I heard that song for the first time, right? And I remember how that song impacted my life. And I know that that song is part of the fabric of my life. And I know that my support for that artist was unending and unbroken because of that. So the idea behind Downright is it was originally started by, by, by two songwriters. And that's the most important thing. A lot of places say, oh, we're artist friendly, but it's like a bunch of suits who are just saying, how could we make this like really um, a good experience for an artist? Well, no one knows better than a songwriter or an artist. So Mark Rose and Bob Nana were two Chicago area songwriters and really renowned musicians who came upon uh, sort of the age old um, sort of predicament, which is, you know, when I'm not on the road, how can I earn and support myself? And being that they're the type of songwriters, which are the kind that really connect to me personally, the type that have people that say, I got married to your song. Oh my God, like your song got me through the worst breakup in the worst summer of my life. Or, um, you know, um, this song saved my life. I mean, sometimes that's what we hear as songwriters, right? Like, and, and that's, that's, that's everything. So because they had it. heard, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's honestly hard to put into words when it's like when somebody has, you know, a lyric tattooed on your arm and it's like, I have, I have artists that their lyrics mean everything to me. And so when Mark and Bob created Downright years back, the idea was rather than just having that relationship with those fans, what if we wrote those songs directly for the fans? So there was no label. So there was no middleman. So we could just go to the people and give them those, um, those songs to score their life events directly. And so there is the idea that somebody could say, I had the worst summer of my life and, and this is what happened. And the songwriter said, I'm gonna put that into song for you. Or they could say, hey, look, like my wife and I met at one of your shows. That was, or that was our first date. And so could you write us a song, a bespoke custom song for us because of our connection to you? And that would be something that would be not an inspired, but that would be um, an occasional or a life event, right? And then there is the idea that a song could be just some bespoke creation. So if you came to me and you said, Justin, I love what you do. You've made hip hop music. You've made electronica. You've made trip hop. You've made classic rock. You've made dark wave. I don't know what you're going to make, but I just want something from you, dealer's choice. And that would be, that would be something that was just like a fan funded idea where somebody says, I just want to support you and I want something and experience in return. So what Mark and Bob did was they created a platform where they got all of their friends, other front you know, front men and front women and people from bands to come to the platform in a very indie way. And they were able to create this incredible and honestly quite disruptive and revolutionary platform where their fans reached out to them and said, we want you to write the song for our life occasion. We want you to do an inspired by and tell our story, or we want you to just do what you do because we love you and are so down for you that we want to just commission you. We don't need to get it from a streamer. We don't need to buy it at the merch booth. And so Downright works as a platform where not only um, fans, but also entities and brands, perhaps, right, could reach out to not only a singer-songwriter, but an artist or a band and say, I want you to write a song for me, Commit, and they were commissioning you to do so, right, patron of the arts, right? But then it moves forward because it's not just the song. It could be a film motif. It could be the theme song for, you know, break the business, you know, it could be, um, it could be the, the backdrop to your social media platform. So any, any, you know, it, it could be a score for a student film. So any bespoke piece of music that was commissioned by a singer songwriter, by an artist, by a band, by a DJ, by a beat maker, the platform is growing very, very fast. And we're bringing in all types of artists across many diverse genres and cultures and and my the thing that drew me to it was the idea that because it's not sustainable for the artists out there when they're not on stage how am i going to make money if i'm if i'm a, if i'm a mid-level band and i am playing for 350 people a night and i know that like i mean look when you're in a band you're like to peel back the curtain a bit people say okay this is what i'm making on the guarantee what you make at the show and they also say oh, this is what I'm making per head in merch, 
So I'm really peeling back the curtain. But if you take the average of what the merch was at night, you divide it by the amount of people, then you say, this is how much I'm making per head. I know it sounds very like uh, cold and impersonal, but the fact is, is not only do we want you to wear those t-shirts and we want you to have those signed set lists, but that will help us get to the next town to play for the next group of people, right? And so <clears throat> when you're not on the road as an artist, you may have a merch store, you may have a band camp page, you may have a Twitch channel, but how are you gonna make money? So what I love about Downright is it's a non-exclusive platform that works alongside all of that. It doesn't say we're gonna be your everything and you're gonna do everything with us and it's not some greedy cash grab that's trying to like be the whale in the ocean that swallows up the whole industry. We're just saying, hey, these two guys and then an incredible team that was rounded out to, to, to create it and, and scale it up have created a platform where songwriters and artists can come, get unparalleled splits, and make money directly from people who want to support their craft. And that, to me, is it's literally not happening anywhere else. And one of the overarching things that I try to do the most, if, if, there, if I had sort of a driving force of what I want to accomplish in the entertainment industry on the business side, it's exactly what you said. Getting is getting rid of as many intermediaries as possible between the fans who love music and the artists who create music, because yeah. that's a pure relationship. And a lot of good comes from that. Most of the unfortunate, terrible, bad things, the horror stories that are taking place in the entertainment industry are usually being caused by those intermediaries. So the more of them we can get rid of and create that direct relationship between the people who consume music and the people who create it. That's where the great stuff happens. And so I love platforms that can facilitate that. Let me ask you something as a composer in all of this, because it's always mm -hmm. been something I'm curious yeah. about. It's not something I would know anything about. I would never be able to write a song, but I would imagine that the experience of writing a song purely for, you know, coming out of your own head versus writing a song that was commissioned for you. Maybe you're given a specific prompt or, or some kind of goal, hey, can you write something for my 25th wedding anniversary, something like that? Or can you write something for the theme song for our podcast or for our TV show? Yeah. How does that experience differ? Is one of those things harder than the other? Is it harder to write something just for your own album than it is to write something that was a commission project? It's a really, it's a really good question. Okay, so in talking to some of our artists, what we've heard is that sometimes um, there's a... Um, when the pressure is on and you know you're writing for your record, sometimes you may overthink it. Sometimes you may, you know, for a lot of people, they need to be in a solitary space and work like, you know, sitting down with the guitar at, at the piano in front of the computer and and wait for that inspiration to come. Like Tom Petty said, you throw your fishing rod in the water and you hope that you get a bite. Some days you do, some days you don't. What's amazing about being prompted, whether it's inspired by someone's story or whether it is um, you know, that is uh, an occasional life event type commission. What, what some of our artists and writers have said is that it, it actually took the pressure off, right? Because it reminded them of why they got into it in the first place. The, they weren't searching for inspiration. The inspiration was coming right to them. They had direction, they had purpose, they had a task. And, and musicians, um, you know, sometimes get, get a bad rap for being a little bit esoteric and spacey, but to actually like follow through that moment of, of inspiration and put structure to it and give it form and then record it and put it out into the world and execute that night after night, that, there's a discipline to it, right? And so I think what's great is when you are commissioned by a fan or an entity to do something for an occasion or for a life event, right, or an inspired by, what, what our writers have said is it, it reminded them of why they got into it in the first place and that they felt like the satisfaction of, of really, really, really making something of value for somebody that meant something made them feel good. Because ultimately what we're talking about, and just to go back for one quick second, I, I was born in the industry. I've been in the industry my, for, for my, the entirety of my life, and I've been working it as a professional since I was signed at the age of 16. And I harbor no ill will towards the industry. I'm not one of those bitter people who's jaded. I love the record industry because I think there's still endless and limitless possibility. I love it when tech gets involved. And I love it when idea people get involved. And when you talk about those intermediaries, I think what you said that was really, really right on was that the connection between fan and artist is pure. It's not that one's bad or one's not. It's that it's pure. And so when you do have this pure connection, right, 
what we're doing is allowing and facilitating a platform, you know, and a very, very streamlined, simple way of doing it so that, you know, you create, you create a profile, you, you show what you're offering and, and you engage with your fans. Cause that's what we're talking about. It's fan engagement. I call it super serving your fans. How do you go to your fan and not only offer them, Hey, I'm playing in your town, come check me out. And Hey, I may be like DMing you on, on my socials and I'll definitely sell you a t-shirt. How do you say, what else can I give you? Right. And that's what drew me to down. Right. So when our artists say things like, um, I knew it was going to be an experience for me. Um, I'm sorry. When, when you say like, like some, okay. So like for me, like you want to create experiences and whether it's an after show, whether it's me doing handwritten lyrics and giving it to fans and they frame it, that's an experience. So like they knew that it was going to be an experience for the, for the commissioner, but what they didn't realize was that the experience was going to be something that they had in such a substantive way. And that's amazing to me. Like the idea that like, not like, if you can get a, like, it's easy to get weighed down by the industry. It's easy to get bummed out if you're an artist and sort of feel like, like, how am I going to do this? Right. <laughs> and so like having that fresh jolt, you know, that sort of defrib defibrillator that sort of jumps you up and goes, Hey, like, you know, you know, John from Minnesota loves you and wants you to do a song. That's like on your first record, but, here's why he's connected to you. Here's the, here's the story of how he fell in love with your music and why it's meaningful to him. And you're sitting down and you're not going, Oh, like, should it be like, should the bridge be like this? And really being like intense and anal and like overthinking your record. You're just like, right. I have a task in front of me and I'm going to stoke out this person and make them so happy because when you create something of value for them, that reward is so, I mean, it's, it's massive. And you know, in talking to the people who we work with, that's the feedback we get is like that that you just see this smile on their face where it's like not only is the commissioner really happy but the artist feels really good it's like they're doing something because ultimately we just want to be seen right we just want to be heard and we just want to be appreciated and so my biggest problem with the industry isn't the way the industry functions it's that if i release a record i just want to know that it's acknowledged i don't care how if people like it or not i just want for it to be seen and in a time when artists are like constantly being devalued, right? Either by a total democratization where it's almost impossible to get your stuff heard or whether it's no gatekeepers in order to say, hey, maybe some of this stuff should go rise to the top. It's really nice to have the people that matter that you're trying to reach in the first place, the fans go, hey, I hear you, I see you, thank you. I love the healing aspect of a platform like this. As you noted, it's not just, valuable because it's helping artists make more money than six tenths of a stream through this commissions <laughs> process. But as you said, it, it it's also healing to the industry because it's reinforcing that relationship between artist and fan. It is minimizing the distance. It is not putting a plat a, you know, an AI driven platform in the way it's not putting a lot of computer code in the way it's here's the artist, here's the fan and let's make something wonderful together. Our guest is Justin Warfield. He is the VP of Artist Services at Downright. It's a platform that lets everyday fans commission artists to create new music. Love the concept here. For the artists out there who have been maybe making just purely original music their whole life, but are interested in what you're saying here, and they're like, oh, maybe I want to get into commissioning songs from fans. I think this could be a cool stream. It could help me kind of fall in love with the creative process all over again. Do you have any advice for songwriters on how to get started in this sector of songwriting yeah i mean like everything else to me it's about finding what you're comfortable with and finding your entry point so in my experience right with what i do in a and r is for some artists they're like you know what i've been doing really heavy music but i would love to do something that's like showing a different side of myself so whether it was like somebody known for heavy music saying they want to make acoustic music whether it was somebody um who is known for alternative rock saying they want to do something more dancey for some artists it's like maybe i want to show a different side of myself for some people that are more brand conscious right and are more having like sort of uniformity and, and a streamlined uh forward-facing thing to the industry and to their fans they might just say i want to continue to do what i do on my other platforms right through my streamers and through my band camp or my tune core you know whatever their their method of getting their music to the world but when I offer these individual 
custom creations for fans. I want it to be perfectly in line with exactly what I do and the reason why they show up to the show as they heard me on the radio or, you know, on, on Apple Music or whatever, whatever that might be. Some people that I speak to are saying, you know what? I really, really, really want to get into scoring film and television, but I don't know a way in. And so what I would say to them is, listen, perhaps you want to create instrumental um, music beds and motifs that you would imagine would go good to picture. Then a great way to do that is to have those offerings available on the platform so that creators can say, hey, this is, this is something that resonates with me and I'm going to match it to picture. So if somebody wanted to get, I mean, the way I feel about downright, quite honestly, and I'm not saying this because, you know, because I'm an executive there. It's because I truly feel like it's a place for everyone. The question is, how do you want to utilize it? Because ultimately, it's a tool and a platform. It's the connector between you and your fan, right? And it's and it, it just enhances and super serves that relationship. So any artist that has never done anything like this, um, I think it's like with all things. There's a type of artist who tours and who makes records. Then there's a type of artist who tours and makes records and says, eh, I'll dip my toe in social media. And then there's the artist who says, well, you know, I'm a little bit more savvy. I'm not a Luddite. I'm actually, I've got a Twitch channel and I've also got the IG live going and I do after shows. And then there's some artists who say, I would never do an after show. And then there's artists who say, <laughs> now I do, I give you my handwritten lyrics, but you can also... I mean, there's artists who have like, you know, cut off pieces of their hair and sent it to fans through different campaigns, right? And if you look at people in the past who have done crowdfunding, who have done direct to fan sales, who have merch stores, who do direct to garment printing, there's so many different ways that we can access them that the real, it's like, it's like I started in first wave social media. We're talking like live journal days, right? Then it was wow. Friendster. And Friendster. by the time I was like, yeah. And I was like, you know, for somebody who is a pure Gen Xer, I was really early on social media because I saw it as a method of communicating and connecting more than anything else. So I went from Friendster and I was like, I love Friendster, but it's dying. Well, what's this Facebook thing? I was skeptical. Oh, you can change the, the layout, and the design. Oh, I can put music on. My band, my former band, She Wants Revenge, was one of the first hundred groups on MySpace, and that was incredibly helpful for us. But I wasn't afraid of that technology. I leaned into it. And then what happened? Then my guitar player says, hey, you should really try this Facebook thing. And I'm like, oh, that looks pretty square. I don't know. And then you get into that. And then it's like, you know, then you're doing things with your camera. And you're like, wait, it's picture-based? It's Instagram. My <laughs> point is this. Every time there's something new, there's hesitancy and there's barriers. So for an artist that says, I really love the idea, but I'm not sure. I would say, man, just let like get rid of the barrier because like we're all gonna end up on IG, we're all gonna end up on Facebook, we're all on Twitter, we're all gonna end up like having our YouTube channel. Otherwise, everybody else is just gonna monetize our stuff on there for us, right? And make money off of us. So my goal is that this becomes a platform that everyone uses as a way to engage with their fans, not ours. We're just the vehicle. We're the vessel to get you there. You know, we're the car that drives you to that destination and does it in a way without like um, tainting it or like keeping it pure, like you said. And so yeah. to an artist who's looking at it, I just think it's about finding your way in, finding what's totally authentic to your brand, to your band, to who you are, finding what it is that excites you, not just that you're because it's not about what you're willing to do. It's like, what excites you? You know what I mean? What what would make you want to get up and like make a song or do a track or create something for somebody? Like when you make something, you're not sitting there and going, who am I making this for? You're just making something. So if you have a direction and purpose with what you're making, what would make you excited about turning on the power in your studio, sitting there and recording something? That is what you should be doing on the platform. And whether it's handwritten lyrics, whether it's selling merch, whether it's doing film motifs, or whether it's doing inspired by or occasional songs, whatever it is, there's something for somebody. It's just about finding what's real for you and then leaning into it. Well, let's talk about what's real for Justin Warfield when you're making your own music. Because yeah. you have a you have a solo album coming out, and I know that your website, you're launching a subscription service component on that, which sounds like that's the way that you want to kind of get your music out there and how you want to interact with your fans on this latest effort. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what is what is your process uh, that's unique to you? Uh, well, thanks. You know, I don't know that it's unique to me, but, you know, during during um 2020, 
when, like everyone else, I was sitting in this chair for the lion's share of 18 months in 2020 and 21, I made an album. And it's actually coming up on, I finished it in a Thanksgiving of 2020. And I've just been incredibly busy with other efforts and that's why it hasn't come out. Um, I was thinking, going back to that point, I just want it to be heard. I just want it to be seen. I just want it to be received. And I started thinking about it. I put out albums across genres, across different bands as a solo artist. I've lived in, in the UK and put out records. I've lived in my home of Los Angeles and put out records. I've toured the world and I've gotten a lot of recognition um, from the industry. And um, I've gotten a lot of recognition from people that I wouldn't call fans from just exposure through syncs, right? Through being on American Horror Story or being in lots of uh, television shows and lots of movies. But ultimately, the thing that's sustainable, the thing is sustainable, the thing that is unbroken is the fans. And so before I even knew what Downright was, in looking at the landscape of the industry, I was like, I don't really care to put out this record hoping for like chasing this carrot one more time that maybe there's going to be a runaway hit. Maybe there's going to be a larger audience um, that, that reaches um, and that, that connects to it. Ultimately, I was just like, all I really care about is that like the people who need this and want this get it. And so how do I get it to them with as little barrier as possible? And how do I do so in a way that I'm actually compensated in a way that's fair and equitable? And so in looking at the landscape, I looked at a lot of models out there. And whether you're looking at things like the Neil Young archives and what he's able to do as, a, as like a legacy and heritage artist and have like a subscription service, or whether it was like up and coming bands who are doing like, you know, um, hey, give me this much a month. And then, the, you know, I knew that I didn't want to be a, like a, I knew I didn't want to be doing a video journal and blogger going like, hey guys, it's going really great. I'm making this record. I knew that like that wasn't my interest. The record was done people were asking me for it. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, what can I do that's different and unique? And so I said, well, if I make this record and I do a subscription service, I can tier it. I can affordably tier it in a way that's fair and equitable for the fans, but I can also make it in a way that's fair and equitable for my time and for, for the blood, sweat, and tears I put into this. And so in tiering it, I'm coming up with a way that there's an entry point that's accessible for some. And then there's like something that's like, hey, I'm a super fan and I'm really trying to support you. And also in return, I'm giving them something special and really of, of serious value. Most of those things are experiences, right? There are, there, are, there are definitely physical things, but they're also experiences. So what's important to me is that there's a tangible piece of, of, of a sound recording, that there is something that they can have in front of them, whether it's a piece of vinyl or a CD, remember those, right? Where they can open it up and they could <laughs> see the liner notes because I am still of that generation that I think there's something of value in someone holding this. And whether their CD player is hooked up or not, they can just take that signed CD and they can put it on their wall or they can set it up like on a stand on their desk. But the important thing is, is they have something that's a keepsake because ultimately hard drives fail, right? And ultimately like computers have like that question mark in them and they get grayed out and we take them to the genius bar, right? And like our devices end up breaking out eventually. But that CD or that that case that you get will always be there, even if the CD gets lost. And I want someone to have that physical, tangible reminder of the record that meant something to them. And so in making a record that I feel like every artist feels like their most recent thing is their best, no recency bias, I truly feel like if not best, it's the most representative of me as an artist. And so since I put so much love into this during like a once in a lifetime event of being like, hey, in the middle of great social upheaval, in the middle of like, you know, the fear of failing democracy and like a once in a hundred year global pandemic, I made a concept record. I would like for people to receive it and care about it. And so I'm offering those services that I'm about to launch soon. And the album will come out in early 2022. But what's interesting was in doing this, the other thing that I was doing during um, quarantine was I saw that Butch Walker, an incredible, you know, artist from, from Atlanta who or from Georgia who lives in Nashville, huge producer, amazing songwriter, shredding guitar player, and a guy I just really respect. He was selling handwritten lyrics, and I was like, that's a great idea. So yeah. I started offering handwritten lyrics to fans. And what I realized was when I do something individualized and, and truly, truly custom for somebody, that it has even more value than something that everyone can have. And it's a little bit why people like, I like the idea of NFTs. It's like yeah. one of one, right? And so can, that's where I'm going to Can I offer you a suggestion in that regard? 
Yes. Because I, I heard one from an artist that I think would be right up your alley in terms of creating something that's unique. Um, <laughs> I think I can't remember who the artist is. I think it was Emma Stevens. What she does for like for the, some of the higher tier subscribers, she uh, gets those old school uh fun saver cameras the ones that you have to like you know click 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 to like start a new picture it has like 34 photos in them Uh she will you know take one of those cameras and like just take random pictures backstage or or, or fans or whatever and then send that to the fan who requests it and so that you develop it (laughs) right and then you develop it that fan gets like 35 pictures that are unique to them only they get them and they're physical photos that they can hold in their hand tell me that's not right up your alley it, it is, but the artist in me says I could never steal that idea. It's so <laughs> it's I, it's so good that I would never do that to her because that's incredible. <laughs> it's, it's really cool. Well, and and it sounds like you're still kind of workshopping what some of these higher tier experiences are going to be with your subscription project. But have you have you fleshed out any of them yet? Like what what could a higher yeah. tier experience be for this project? For the for well, the uh, for the bigger uh, it, you know subscribers, it's it 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 it's it's definitely already been been put on paper. It's just some of those things I just want to keep. It, it's always the constant balance as an artist of like, what do you keep close to the vest, right? And like, and like, what do you put out there? And one of the things that I'm trying to do is be more transparent, pull back the curtain, and just say, hey, this is the process. This is where I make my music. These are the things that I use to make music, right? And like people have seen that for the last 18 months on on different streaming things that I've done. And part of it is also I want like a little bit of like fun, sexy rollout. So I won't say too much, but I will say that one of the things that really like would make it like, a, oh my God, angel level investor, if you will, would be if you had an entire album of handwritten lyrics from an artist, that would take an immense amount of time, right? So um, the idea that you're basically getting like something between a book and a zine that is a very one of one handwritten experience to walk you through the lyrical journey of the record that you're listening to. Another would be- yeah, I like another that. would another another would be that's way more accessible is hey next time I'm in San Diego because you live there, come see me before the show. We're gonna do a hang. We're gonna do a pre-show hang. You can come to Soundcheck and you can take photos and I'll sign whatever you have and we can have a hang and let's have a VIP experience in person because you're part of JustinWarfield.com. You get to do that. I mean, this goes back to like people like licking stamps and doing fan club stuff and like it's like rudimentary. And to me, going back to your initial thing, when it comes down to, hey, do I get like six tenths of a, like, that should never be something that an an artist should not have an abacus in order to try and figure out what they're going to do. An artist should be like, oh, I know that if I sell you this CD, I'm going to make this much money. I know that if you subscribe to me, right, I don't have to go and do things and do some dance to show you what I'm doing. For me, it was important because there was no platform that existed for what I wanted to offer for a subscription service. And what's crazy is months later, I was educated and informed about Downright, and I went, oh, this is actually an incredible place for me to do what I do. And so though I'm not ready to announce that, I'm also going to be doing a project on Downright. And when I say project, I don't mean an individual like per commission song. But I'm actually going to be utilizing Downright in a very similar way to what I'm going to be doing with JustinWarfield.com for something else to be later discussed. Wow. Well, then we're just going to have to have you back on again to tell us all about it. Our guest has been Justin Warfield. He's the VP of Artist Services at Downright, a platform that helps everyday fans commission artists to create new music and perhaps a wide range of other kind of cool projects. And that was our other guest, Justin Warfield's dog. Uh, happy to have them both on the show justin before we let you go one last question for us do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward and if your dog has one too that's good i think she does you have anything to add to this (laughs) it's like you put the mic in it's like somebody heckling from the crowd you hand them the microphone and then they clam up right the best um, thing about this, and it's just a gift for the live streamers, is we just get to see your tiny dog's head peeking over the desk there. <laughs> it just makes the oh, whole you interview. Can see? Yeah, you can see? I, I see a little ball of floof right by your piano there. Oh man, I wish you could see her more. 
Oh, there she is. Hey. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. Oh, hi there. Look oh, at that face. Oh, look. <laughs> dog's looking right at us. Great sense I mean, of camera. It's, it's, like, that dog's going to be a star. Knows right that where the dog camera is. That dog is a star. Maybe I'll take her on tour. I mean, for indie creators, you know what I would say is, um, I think, okay, so, like, for me, it's, like, be open. You know, sometimes it's easy to say no to things, right? A lot of times when people want to break in, they just say yes to everything. I think you have to be discerning, but also be open. So knowing what to say yes to, knowing what to say no to. And don't sort of like sell yourself short. Like, I think one of the most important things is sometimes people don't, people just want to launch and, and like come out without knowing who they are. I think one of the greatest things an artist can do is just develop. And we know that that artist development is really not something that's very present in the industry as constructed 2021, right? So allow yourself the time to become what you are meant to be. Like if you can sustain yourself outside of um, the record industry or, or from, you know, if you can take time to don't rush out there. There's records that I wish that like, if only I could whisper in that 20 year old Justin's ear and just say, it's not going to kill you if you just like wait three months, like just like <laughs> develop the songs a little bit. You know what I mean? So I, I think that there's a couple of things. One is be open to experiences to let the process develop organically, become that which you're supposed to be, which is a little esoteric, but it's the truth. You may have an idea of what you are, but figure out what you are. The other thing is mentors. To me, mentors is everything. Be open to the idea that whether it's a producer, whether it's an engineer, whether it's your guitar player, whether it's your manager, um, whether it's your partner, just have somebody that sees you and can mirror what you are because an artist doesn't always have the best idea of actually who they are and what they're doing. So allow yourself to have mentors to shape your experience. And then on the back end, after you've sort of gone through some experiences, find somebody else to pay that forward to and mentor them. Um, I think also like, um, I think a, a big mistake that people make is that they, um, they think that in order to blow up or get big or be successful, that they need to try to appeal to a lot of people. And in my experience, the biggest songs that I've ever made that have reached a huge amount of people were intensely specific, like crazily weird <laughs> um, <laughs> and very, very personal. So what I always tell songwriters is, if you try and speak to everybody, you reach nobody. But if you try and just like write something that you would want to hear, or maybe speak to one very specific person, you might reach a lot more people than you think. And so I think that, you know, don't go out there and try and write a song like Beautiful Day by you too. It took a lifetime of, of songwriting for that amazing duo of songwriters to come up with that song. And they probably wrote it from a very personal place, right? So sometimes you write a song and somebody's like, that's my story exactly. You're like, really? Because that's the most specific thing that happened to me in like the summer <laughs> of 2008. Like, okay. But you know what? That specificity, that specificity is relatable. And so don't try and like write a hit song. Like, I remember I was speaking once to my manager at the time who was managing Lou Reed. And I was like, I mean, why can't he just tap into like writing another walk on the wild side? And he's like, don't you think he would if he could? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, people have said to me, like, why don't you just write another song like Tear You Apart or Bug Powder Dust? And I'm like, well, A, because I know that that will not work. Because when I tried to write, I didn't try to write those songs. I wrote mm. them sort of by accident. Put the fishing rod in the water. It got a bite. You do the dance, you do the thing, you see it through. I mean, my biggest song that I've ever been a part of that I wrote with, you know, my partner and She Wants Revenge, Adam Braven, we wrote Tear You Apart. And it was something that I was like, should we put this on the record? Like, it's so weird. I was like, oh, this sounds like Wall of Voodoo and Fred Schneider from the B-52s, like, you know, in the middle of a knife fight with, like, you know, Joy Division. Like, this is crazy. And then the next thing you know, it's the biggest song <laughs> of the year. And that's crazy. So... I just don't try and don't try and 
knock it out of the park. Just get on base. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, that's 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 really great advice for songwriters. Like you don't don't feel like you have to write the song for everybody. Write about whatever you're going to write about. And it might wind up being the song for everybody. It, it reminds yeah. me, this is, now, this is now the second week in a row I'm going to reference this song. Uh, I, I can't help but think about the song As the World Caves In by Matt Maltese, which was written in 2018 and then has become, you know, probably the most popular song on TikTok later uh, or today because, like, some teenage girl named Sarah Cothran covered it and it, like, exploded on the platform such that now, like, when you search the song on TikTok, her version comes up before the original version. But... The songs just become this massive part of young people culture because a lot of young people see it as like, oh, this song is about me and my lovelornness and how much I just crave to be with somebody and how I think about this person all the time. Like for a lot of young people, it's the universal song. And when you ask Matt Maltese, what is this song about? He told he talks about how he envisioned Donald Trump and Theresa May having this torrid sexual love affair while the world was falling apart in an apocalypse like yeah. as completely you know completely far away from what teenagers probably think the song's about when they're listening to it on tiktok he just wanted to write some weird song about donald trump and Theresa may and it you know but it it became something else to everybody else and i'm guessing if he tried to just write the universal love song it probably wouldn't have been created it would have been terrible i mean it's the same thing it's like every breath you take is about a stalker like Sting was yeah. not writing a love song, and, and people we were like, "Oh weddings. my god!" Right? It's a. I was. I was literally gonna say that people dance to it at a wedding, right? And it's like, it's like a a father could give like you know the bride away at like some like very old timey wedding, and you're like, okay, you know that that's like about about a guy creeping outside of a window, and so that 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 and to your point too, it's like, all you. That's why authenticity is so important. If you're just like. In my experience, I remember like, you know, loving artists like The Cure and Placebo. Having been on tour with that band Placebo and seeing fans know that I was friends with the band or or was there with the band that night, walk, you know, when I was outside, just like getting some air, somebody came and handed me some roses through like a chain link fence. And like sliding individual bouquet of roses individually through a chain link fence to give to me and say, can you give these to Brian? And I could see on this person's face how important it was that he received those flowers because the lyrics that he had written and the songs that he had co-written with these, these friends of his changed her life in some substantial way where she felt it necessary to, to give him something. And so I remember when we were writing the music for what was the first She Wants Revenge record, I remember sitting in like either my dining room at the time or like the office of my bandmate because we were just two guys who were just making music for the two of us. And I was thinking about it and I was listening to it and I thought about that girl. And I knew in that moment that we were going to be successful, not because we had a hit song, but because the music was so hard on your sleeve, emotional and personal. It was so specific that I was like, somebody's gonna connect to this. Thing is, I thought it was gonna be 3,000 people, not, you know, add zeros and add zeros. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Justin, this has been a pleasure. I, if the, if the current time clock that I'm looking at for this interview now serves as any indication, I could talk to you all day and enjoy it. Please don't be a stranger. Let's have you come back on again when the album that. comes out so we can hear more about it. I've really enjoyed talking to you and connecting with you. Thank you so much for being on the show this week. Uh, pleasure is mine. Thank you so much, Ryan. That was uh, Justin Warfield, everybody, VP of Artist Services at Downright. Did you enjoy that, Lauren? That was a treat, huh? And you are muted. Yay. Oh, we got someone again. Hi-o. <laughs> Good to be back. I'm totally going to check out his platform during the uh, stream. I was messaging a bunch of my artist friends that have done some commission work, both for other people and for me. And I was like, check out this platform. This is great for you. It's really cool. And a, and a, a couple former Break the Business guests are on that platform, too, which I really, really love. Hey, everyone. We will see you next week for episode 300. So excited. We got all sorts of things planned. 
Maybe half of them will come to fruition, which is good enough for me. Either way, <laughs> going to be excited to all have you there. And thank you, as always, for your support of our program. We'll see you next week. Thank you.